Hello and welcome to episode four of The Paper Crane, a podcast from Codes in the Clouds and a misspent youth productions. I'm Steve. I'm Jack. I'm Joe. And I'm Kieran. And this week's guest is Janice Hallett. Best-selling author Janice Hallett, I'll have you know. Not just uh, an author though. Not just an author. A woman of many things, of many talents. But I tell you what, I can't confirm them. We'll have to speak to someone who knows all the facts later. Uh, yes, I'm, su- I'm, I'm excited super, about that. I'm, well, I'm excited about that. I'm super <laughs> excited about uh, people hearing this Janice Hallett interview. As, as I said last week, that's it's my favourite book this year. I, you were very excited. I love the appeal. I can't wait for her next book. She's brilliant. But even more exciting, we're all in the same room. It's really weird. For the first and almost certainly last time of this run of podcasts, this series, we'll call it, we'll be in the same room. Yeah, where, why, why, why is that, Kieran? Uh, well, I mean, we've already agreed to not do this again. <laughs> so, from the moment we walked in. Just the smell is just too intense. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, we're recording our new album at the moment. Yes. A new Codes in the Clouds album. It's, really? It's exciting. I'm I'm a studio? Excited. What's the name of that studio? Uh, yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> nice weather we, for airstrikes. Facts. Yep, we were we were not asked to promote the studio. <laughs> <laughs> we are in the nice weather for airstrikes. So I'm assuming what we're we saying, clear skies. It's gotta be. It's a nice, that's a nice weather, well, you, isn't it? Yeah, you want yeah, ideally. You want to you want to be seeing your target. You want a beautiful day for an airstrike, ideally. You too. Clear day. Sun. What are we saying? <laughs> night. Night time. Um. Clear sky at night. Let's go at it's night? night weather. It's day or night part of weather. Mm. We'll have to ask. I don't know. Pete. Google weather. I nearly just uh, buzzed in with some airstrikes facts about a book I'm reading about Dresden, but it would have been very close to a feature in another podcast that, oh, Joe, really? that Joe was involved with. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Uh, they, they had a go at me this week for not promoting... Um, that podcast on this one so I'm just not gonna I'm just gonna yeah, yeah that's, that's why I was reluctant to say it I because I know that, that, uh, Steve, that you're a stubborn man Steve uh, as one of the reasons we definitely won't be in the same room again because Steve lives in another country uh, and uh, the re- there was a real return of the snack he brought me some snacks from uh, from his, oh, yeah. from his <laughs> we're gonna, we're gonna just homeland. rob that feature and do it now it's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> a lovely live cooking from Stephen uh, uh, Domino Stein Thanks. Sorry, sorry, sorry. But Kieran, once again, I'm just—I know I've spoken to Janice, but I, I don't know enough about Hang her. Hang on a minute. Mate. What's that? Can you hear the rustling? Is that a big bag of facts? <laughs> Are you going to open those up and share them out? <laughs> I thought we'd agreed he was a robot. <laughs> oh yeah, sorry. Doesn't eat. <laughs> Doesn't have bags. Has data. Each, I, I thought it might get tired. This, but it, it, each week it just gets more and it's, more. It's funny. It's the pressure it's is building on him. Seeing his face. Yeah. <laughs> Janice Hallett facts. Lovely. So well delivered. Janice Hallett is an author, playwright, screenwriter and former editor. Janice started her writing life in the world of print media, writing for industry-specific magazines and in political communications. After a changing career, her debut film Retreat was released in 2011 and starred Tandy Newton, Killian Murphy and Jamie Bell. Yes. Imagine that. Imagine that. Not bad cast, is it? First film. Her debut novel, The Appeal, was released in 2021 and became a Sunday Times bestseller. Her next book, The Twyford Code, is released in January 2022. I can't wait for that book. We quite cheekily, this is a spoiler alert for this uh, episode, but we quite cheekily asked for an advanced copy. Uh, We didn't get it. Oh, you didn't get yours? No. Do you get... Huh? 
Don't worry, nothing. Right, yeah. So, yeah, it was a real pleasure talking to uh, Janice. I hope you enjoy the interview. Uh, we do talk a lot about her book, The Appeal, uh, which, as I say, I absolutely adored. Uh, I would thoroughly recommend you all read it. You don't have to read it beforehand, I don't think. But if you want to press pause, go and buy the book. Read it in, what, two hours, three hours? Max. Max. Uh, it's, it's a thriller. It's centred around an amateur dramatic group. Uh, there's an appeal for no. a child who's ill then there's a murder whoa my juicy spoiler alert hold up Sp- sorry but it's, to be fair it does say there's a murder on the front cover yeah. of the book uh, and, oh, but spoiler. the whole book <laughs> the whole book is written in uh, correspondence so mm. it's all emails it's all text messages and cool. the like the way some of the characters are observed some of them are hilariously annoying we do go into this we specifically talk yeah. about a character called Izzy yeah. who and I did mention this to her it, this was quite a strange one because obviously we're quite new to booking guests for uh, podcasts or for anything. We ju- I think we spent our entire career assuming people don't want to talk to us in general, let alone for a, a podcast. But So I finished <laughs> right, the book and then e- I was emailing her the next day and I was really conscious that I was rambling in my email. I was like, oh, I sound a bit like Izzy. And then I realised I was emailing the creator of the character of Izzy and then I had uh, a tizzy. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, and panicked and pressed send. It's kind of it like it leans into something she says in 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 the interview, mm. um, where she was saying about she was more nervous as the interviewer than yes. the interviewee. I mean, and yeah, I'm starting to I, I get that now. What what you've just done is uh, a bit like when I took my niece to see One Direction, and I. Before they came on stage, I heard their version of One Way or Another twice because they played the video, and then they walked on stage to One Way or Another. So that's the third time. Then they played it a little later on. So listeners are what? about to hear Janice Helen say that she was more in nervous. Oh, was it? It was one it's of the like, first things right she says, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> but, but I just thought I'd chuck out my cool One Direction anecdote <laughs> for the fans of uh, Low and Um But yeah, uh, we... We had a great time talking to Janice. She's really great nice. Time. I thoroughly recommend her book. Enjoy the interview. Janice, obviously, you've uh, you've worked in various forms of uh, media, so feel free at any point to let us know how Jack and I are doing as interviewers. Yeah, I have. Oh. It doesn't make it any easier. Though. Oh. <laughs> I would always get really nervous. I was so nervous interviewing people more than I am being interviewed. You're doing really well so far. Any any tips for any, us? <laughs> Do you know, I wasn't that like, good at it. So <laughs> I bet not giving any. Okay, right. Ignore you. First tip. <laughs> <laughs> so, what kind of um, stuff? Did, like your journalism career. Like, talk to us about that. Was that something that you were doing quite early on in your writing career? Did you start off in journalism? Yeah. Well, I'd done an English degree, and where do you go from there? Really, what do you do? <laughs> I didn't want to be a teacher. I wanted to write. And there wasn't, I couldn't really see any other job where I could write. It's, I wasn't ever a news hound or hugely interested in getting to the crux of the story. I just wanted to be writing all the time. So, yeah, I started work on um, trade magazines in the beauty industry. So I wrote magazines that were read by people who sold cosmetics. Oh, wow. A really tiny niche sector yeah. of the market. Okay. I mean, most at the time when things like magazines existed. Um, <laughs> most journalists would work in, in magazines and in more technical and professional titles. Sure. I suppose the, we'd see all the news um, journalists and all the, the reporters. 
but actually most of us worked in far more mundane production heavy um publications so i was one of those right in one of those publications that nobody really understood or <laughs> People glazed over when I talked about it, as I can see is happening right now. No, <laughs> so no, I'm not, sorry. Give us like, what's an example of like an article in that kind of magazine? Um, how best to sell um, bubble bar to your customers. Ooh, so do you know the answer okay. to that? Trends in mascara. Why bar soap isn't as popular as it used to be. Wow. Okay. Well, yeah, I mean, I think we know, we know why bar soap isn't as popular because it's a pain. I actually <laughs> use a bar of soap, I'm going to say. <laughs> That. Do you? Yeah, it was a well. It's it was my wife's choice. It was a um, environmental choice. Apparently, it's better for the environment, just because you're not what? using as much yeah. plastic. Jack, I hope mm-hmm. you don't mind me saying this, mate. You look like the kind of guy that uses a bar of soap, or not at all, or no soap. I'm not that kind you've of got, guy. <laughs> you've got a bit of you've got that sort of dandy Dan chin, <laughs> and he guaranteed if he washed at all, it was a bar of soap. <laughs> that guy wasn't using Radox. <laughs> it doesn't sound like you maybe worked in that. In that area for long? Unfortunately, far too long. Oh, okay. Uh, 15 years. 15 years writing about bubble baths. Wow. Okay. Can you imagine? Did it make you hate bubble baths? Yeah. I hate matey. (laughs) Not that little guy. (laughs) I hate him. Oh, I'm knocking off the shelf. He's such a friendly guy in the corner of the bath, being unused, (laughs) collecting dust. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't done anything for that long. Yeah, you're gonna hate it. Aren't you? I really couldn't wait to get out. So. But that doesn't mean that I didn't love it for a lot of the time I was in. Sure. It. I, I needed to do something different, and I wanted to be writing. Yeah, yeah sure. Um, luckily, I did get out before magazines plummeted and things like iPads and iPhones. Yeah, when print media was a thing. Yeah, yeah, and it was. I, I was. I worked in print media in the '90s when magazines were really buoyant. And yeah, sure. It was exciting. That is an exception. And so, and you, because you moved into, didn't you, you worked for Diffid in communications, didn't you? Yes. Yeah, after that, I, I so I gave up the um, trade publishing uh-huh. in the retail beauty sector. Um, and yeah, fr- I freelanced for a bit for a, um, what were they, be? they weren't an agency, but they were, uh, they came, they were like a civil service communications company who, if anyone in government wanted something written, and they'd run out of people in-house to do it, they would come to this particular agency or um, company and ask them to write it. So I wrote things um, like in-house police magazines for the policemen, um, various speeches and articles for people, um, you, you know, a whole wide range of things, job centre magazines. Oh, wow. So what, what was, the, what was that just... company called? They were called... Um, creativity and it was spelt with a k well that's very creative (laughs) (laughs) i I did about a year and a half two years um wow it it was a baptism of fire after writing you know about blusher and mascara (laughs) sure years i was suddenly writing about important topics yeah Yeah, sure i mean you must have had to have quite a wide range of like knowledge i guess to do something a job like that right if you don't know what kind of jobs are coming in that you have to write for? I mean, did you have to do a lot of research? Yeah, there wasn't always the time to do research. So I, sometimes I would have to sort of wing it, but write on a language basis. I think if you've um, worked in journalism, you kind of know what I'm saying. If you write about something with not much knowledge, but with a lot of language knowledge, that you could talk right. about it. Yeah, but It's not great. It's not the best way to do it. But if you have to do something quickly, 
and you have to work to a very tight deadline. Sure. That's how you have to do it. So I think I learned a lot. Um, yeah, by by the research that I did do. But yeah, it was it could be a lot um, harder and faster than working on a magazine. When things have to be um, with the person who's commissioned you within two hours. Oh wow! <laughs> wow. Two, okay. Four hours. No, that really is a, a tough deadline. Because because we would generally have work that was um, they didn't have anyone to do it in house because they were all busy themselves. Right. So it was usually really tight. So it's exciting. That is exciting. Yeah. So so when you're reading uh, articles, can you generally tell if it's an expert in the field or an expert in English? Um, yeah, it's really interesting. Occasionally you can. Yeah, you, you can sometimes tell if someone's writing about something they don't know a lot about. Right. It, it's really strange. I don't know what that is. It's a kind of sick sense and a, a sense sure. of having been there. Yeah, um, sure. Myself. Well, we t- um, we because we tend to if we get a bad review, for example, for one of our records, we're just like, oh, that that's just an English degree. This person doesn't know music. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good way to. Of course, it. it's it, that makes things a lot easier. <laughs> so you were working fifteen years in in that trade publication. Were you already starting to write plays and things on the side while you were working there? Yes, I was. I've um, always done amateur drama, mm. and that was always a hobby, and. Um, one of my friends who also did amateur drama, she was um, interested in playwriting, Sharon Exelby. Um, and she um, suggested we both write a play. Uh, this was the early 2000s. And we did. And the amateur drama group put it on. And that was a real turning point because having just worked in journalism, I realised there was something else I could do. Um, sure. And that was when I gave up. Actually, it's a strange coincidence. That was when I stopped. Uh, working in publishing and decided to go freelance and change my life really so it was that play that did it which i'm just so where where are we on the timeline here so uh so the your feature film comes out in 2011 i think so so when when was the first play first play was we started writing it in 2002 Uh and it was performed in 2005 how yeah how was it received Oh, really well. Well, this is the thing, because um, it's a comedy. Uh-huh. And I, I don't know if you guys, comedy is brutal, because people either laugh or they don't. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And if they don't laugh, then you know, it's devastating. Yeah. <laughs> but luckily, this is a comedy, and people laughed. So, oh, thank God. you know, that was that was it, really. That was the magic. That was what happened. I saw people laughing at what I'd written with mirth and not derision. <laughs> <laughs> crucial. <laughs> a crucial distinction. <laughs> yeah, it was a turning point in my life. Um, so, yeah, that, that play changed that, really. No, that, that got me on to this course. And that's when I started, I applied to do a um, an MA in screenwriting. Right. Oh, wow. So it was a complete oh, no. change. So how old were you when you complete. decided to do the MA? Oh, old. It was, <laughs> uh, it was, it was 2006. I started in 2006, so I was just 37 right. oh, wow. when I started the course. It was a two-year course because part-time. Um, sure. And that having start, not having started it without really knowing a great deal about screenwriting or film or TV or anything, I completely fell in love with it. And by the end of the first year of that course, I'd hooked up with a director, Carl Tibbetts, yeah. and he had a script that he'd written called Retreat, but he'd been advised to get a playwright to rewrite it for him right um so he advertised on shooting people the 
uh, filmmaking website uh, for a playwright. And that's um, what I answered. I answered his advert. Wow. And we continued writing retreat and rewriting it because that's the way the screenwriting industry works. You're always rewriting and developing. Mm. Um, And three years later, three years later, it was filmed in 2010 and then 2011, it was released. So was that the first screenplay you worked on? Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, we're very lucky. I have to say, it's that's not normal. <laughs> no, it's not. All. So, kids, uh, it's never too late. Just go off and do an MA, and then Tandy Newton will just turn up in your film straight <laughs> yeah. after. Absolutely, <laughs> Jamie Bell. Yeah, never too late. I mean, that's that is late. So that's middle age, 37, 38, 39. That's when incredible. I was forty-two when Retreat came out. That's incredible. So yeah, that's never too late. Never, never give up on your dream. That's, yeah, and that's not a bad cast for your first screenplay. Not bad, <laughs> not bad is it? Oh, my word. <laughs> Does that differ quite a lot, screenwriting, from, from playwriting then? So you say for screenwriting, there's a lot of rewrites, there's a lot of editing, I guess, script editing. Yeah. When you're, when you're writing a play, do you own that a bit more of yourself? It's, it's hard to say because the two are quite different. The industries are quite different. The process mm. of putting them on is different. Mm. With plays, um, certainly my experience, I was already in contact and I was a member of uh, a theatre group. So, you know, I had a ready-made structure, ready-made, and it wasn't a theatre, it was a church hall, but a ready-made sort of, um, yeah, structure to put that play on. So that was, you know, touch wood, relatively easy because, you know, it's never really easy to do anything like that. Film is completely different. I mean, you have to have production companies, you have to have producers, you have to have people who, you know, uh, buy into your idea and, and will support you with it because you can't do it on your own. Mm. Um, if you're a playwright and you have, if you have enough money, you can pay, you know, people to put your play on, um, if you if you wish to. Yeah. Um, but film, you can't unless you're hugely wealthy. Um, so the two are so different. I mean, the, you know, film is totally based on development, really, yeah. and, and so is TV. Did you ever did you ever have uh, the desire to perform as well as write? Well, yeah, I, I acted for years. Amazing, years really? Years and years, yeah. In amateur, amateur productions. Sure. Yeah, I did all sorts. I don't know whether I was any good. I, I cringed to think, because we, we were a little local group in a church hall, and we did a lot of farces, sort of right. uh, Ray Cooney, Brilliant. deeply unfashionable, very old-fashioned, you know, Whitehall farces. Right. Yeah. So I, I was young at the time, so I ended up, you know, in short skirts and, and things with, you know, big hair and, um, you know, Top, you know, top falls off, obviously clothes. Um, <laughs> your clothes fall off and you run around with, with nothing on much. And I'm a feminist as well. <laughs> Don't tell anyone. Um, it's great. They're, they're great fun to do, but they're they're not um, hugely popular now. Sure. Uh, so yeah, that was and that was why my first play was a comedy. I think because I was so used to right. being in them. I had no idea how they were structured and how they worked and what worked on a stage. And I think performing really, um, you've got a head start if you then start writing yeah. the sort of thing that you, you're used to performing because you you know so much. You have a 3D um, appreciation of what needs to happen mm-hmm. on the stage. And, um, yeah, you can you can kind of tell actors, I think, because you can communicate with actors better mm-hmm. if you've been in that position yourself. Sure. And that's a, that's a good thing. Communication is a, you know, a really key part of getting that page to the stage. When you're writing plays, how uh, how descriptive are your directions? Are you adding emotions into it, or is it very much just you know X walks over here? 
No, it's it's strange. The conventions for playwriting mm. are that you don't write an awful lot of stage direction. It's mm. mainly dialogue. Oh, I mean, okay. you can, but directors and actors want to get hold of that dialogue and that story sure. and do their own thing with it. Uh, so you don't tend to write that many. And also stages differ so much. Mm. Somebody could be putting that play on in the round. Of course, they could yeah. be putting it on outside. They could be putting it on in a traditional theatre. Um, screenwriting slightly different. You do have to do all of the um, directions and all the things that are happening. But you have to do them in such a way that they're very um, sparse. You know, you can't take up half a page describing something. It has to be because you have to read a page in the minute that it would be on screen. Right. And that's the technical um, challenge of screenwriting. But it ha everything has to be there so that the actor and the director and everyone else involved in the film, from the lighting to the sound guys to the wardrobe people, hair and makeup, everything, they know what's going on in that scene. You were kind of erring towards comedy, really, as a genre then. Yeah, I think yeah, I think it's the case with most of the things I write. Uh, I think it's just sort of my personality is quite, I, I look for the funny mm. in things. That's not to say that Retreat had any jokes in it whatsoever. <laughs> um, <laughs> you've seen it, it's, it's a psychological thriller, it's very dark. And it's, you know, it's, there's not many laughs to be had. Um, the tone doesn't um, change throughout no. the whole film. It's incredibly tense. And the score is brilliant for that film as well, I must say. The score is fantastic yeah. for that. I hear, I, I can't say it was the original, but that style of music mm. appears so often now, whereas oh, I hadn't heard it before. I'm not saying that it was the first. Um, it's that, that that lovely yeah. mix of like wonderful melody, but also really putting you on edge. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's so on edge, isn't it? Yeah. And that kind of music now accompanies a lot of um, dark, yeah. thrilling things from adverts through to oh absolutely you know, yeah oh, it's TV really shows. become the mainstream now hasn't it yeah yeah but it's very dark and um frightening <laughs> yeah no it really is it's it's a it's a great performance well from all three of them it's a great performance but uh, like you know jamie bell has never been so scary were you on were you on set quite a bit during the recording of that no just one day oh right okay. and i think i was on i was on set for as long as i was um because it was filmed up a mountain in snowdonia and I couldn't get oh, off wow. the set. Well, I was only there for a day, really, because I there was no way down. Um, it oh, was, wow. Uh, yeah, it was, it was a good day. But for a writer, um, it feels always feels slow that scenes are re-shot. Re I mean, it was really fascinating for a short time. Hmm. And then I thought, yeah, I'm yeah, sure. writing now because I can move <laughs> <Yeah. quick." laughs> so, But it's great. I mean, work so hard on films under difficult conditions as well. Yeah, are actors like still improvising as they're filming as well? I guess so. You're still seeing your work change. No, I mean I didn't. Um, it was very tight. I mean they they filmed whatever what was written, oh, okay. uh, maybe because it's a low budget film. Um, they filmed mm. what was written, and that was that. There wasn't really any time or um, space to sure. improvise or to play or experiment. I don't know if there ever is on film, or whether. Or yeah. whether any did happen, I don't think it did. Right. Do you think? Do you think it's because they knew you were there <laughs> <laughs> that day? Let's not change the words. <laughs> Possibly, yeah. When I was gone, you know, they they did whatever they wanted. <laughs> well, because my co-writer Carl was directing, so they always had that eagle eye. Oh, of course, yes, them. yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. So best behaviour from the actors, please. <laughs> but um, well, yeah, Janice, as you know, because I've I've been I've emailed you, you know how much of uh, 
of a fan of the appeal I am, uh, and I'll, I'll be save. I'll save most of the gushing for the intro and outro to the podcast, <laughs> so I won't be doing it to your face. Aww. But uh, I, yeah, I thoroughly recommend everyone. Re- oh, by the way, I mean book sales must have shut up just from me because I've pushed it on so many people in the last few weeks. Fabulous! Thank uh, you very much, including me. I was yeah. I was one. I was a recommend. Yeah, yeah, you were one. A couple of weeks ago, yeah, it's brilliant. Loved it. I should say actually a shout out to uh, Lauren from Lauren and the Books. She was the one that recommended it to me, and it was just such a spot on recommendation. But I remember when it turned up. And it's one of those rare books that seems so dense because there's so many characters and so much to follow, but you just sprint through it. It's such an easy read, considering how much there is there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I have, a, you know, like a million questions. I can't think of the first one. Uh, <laughs> but how was it right in the book? There you go. How was it? Well, that's a long story. Do you like books? <laughs> <laughs> How was it writing the appeal? Well, I mean, I set off writing it. Mm. I, think I, I was pretty sure it would never be published because I'd spent the previous you know, pretty much 10 years writing films and TV series that had never been made. So to me, this was wow. just another thing that I would write that my agent and her assistant would really enjoy. And then I'd not hear anything else. So right. I, I, it, that was a kind of freedom, though, yeah. from, from anything. Yeah, I mean, I've never I been bet. so free in my life writing something. And that's the appeal came out of that. It's just it's such a unique way to write a book. Just yeah. it's the entire entirely in correspondence. Well, I'll tell you why, why that happened. It happened completely accidentally because I'd had an idea for a TV series, uh, and only an idea. I thought it could be, you know, this amateur drama company, and a pair of strangers arrive and join, and this appeal starts for um, one of the children uh, involved with one of the families in the group. And this couple are the only people who can see or think they see something wrong. Mm. Now, from that basic idea for a TV show that it wasn't anything out of the ordinary, um, when it was suggested to me to write a novel, I thought, well, you know, I'll just, what I'll do is get the minor characters in this story and write letters between them, as almost as if right. this novel would complement that TV series, should that ever be made. And so you'd hear right. from the minor characters. And that's how it happened. And that's how it came about that you don't hear from the main characters in the book. You, you don't read from anything from them at all. It's, uh, that's how oh, it happened. Totally accident. Well, because you've, you've worked as, uh, as, as an editor and obviously you've been edited. <laughs> how, how big was the role of the editor in this book? Because obviously, because it's, as I say, it's so dense, but it just works so seamlessly. <laughs> Oh, thank you. Yeah, Miranda Jewess, the editor, uh, she was fantastic. I mean, she just has this um, fierce eye for how a story will be understood by the reader um, and and what's wrong with what you've got to or that, that can make it more understandable by the uh, general reader. Uh, as for being edited, when you've been an editor, uh, really interesting and it's, it's not bad. I mean, I don't dislike being edited at all because I can see how Miranda picks up on things that I can't see. And that's things like repetition in your writing style that you just don't pick up on yourself. And as soon as she starts editing and I can see what she's cutting out, I think, yeah, I do that. I have that word. Every other paragraph I've got that. Or in this paragraph, I've got three you know instances of that same 
sentence structure. And these are things that you just don't pick up on yourself. Mm. So it's a real um, boost to be edited and to have someone who is so focused on improving your work. And that's sure. um, just amazing. So it was, it's been a fantastic experience. It, although sometimes it can bring you back down to earth as a creative person, yeah. all these thoughts and um, you know, yeah. this will work, this will be brilliant. Oh, how about if I did that? And, and you know, the editor has to say, no, that just won't work. People will, you know, lose faith in it if you do that. They'll, they'll, they'll feel this way if you do that. It brings you down to earth, but it's always right. Is it hard not to feel precious about some of the things you write? You know, you, you, do you care about it so much that when someone just kind of puts a line through it, you go, no, please, come on, you, you just let me have that. <laughs> sometimes, yeah, sometimes if it's something that you do really love about that, or if it's something that's mm. um, personal and it's based on something that happened to you, mm. when the editor doesn't know that. But if they are then picking that apart and saying that's not going to work or that's not the best part of this story, that can hurt. But it's all to make it, better in the end and that's what everybody wants so you know I always try to it doesn't matter if you feel that way but I always try to see it um from the editor's point of view as well because chances are they're the out they're the outsider Mm. in this you know in your creative vision Mm. so they have this perspective and it's valuable I mean saying that it's uh it's interesting being edited by someone else that I mean that could have gone either way because you know we're all creative people we're all we're, we're, there's all the cer- there's a certain amount of ego to everything we do. So it was very interesting what that editor had to say about my work. I mean, and of course, bearing in mind that the whole novel started out. I mean, it was going to be a side piece to your twelve series, yeah. <laughs> yeah. super successful yeah. American TV show that you were writing. Neither of which I thought would ever be made. So <laughs> it didn't matter really what I put. I could put anything. I tried. It's lovely. So. You just need, uh, yeah, you just need your ego dampened a little bit and you'll come out with something <laughs> like The Appeal. Um, but yeah, because the, the, uh, the difference in characters, I thought some of the characters were just so well observed. I mean, honestly, I think the character of Izzy has ruined my life a little bit. Just because, I, I think I, I even mentioned it when I was writing a letter, uh, writing an email to you because I realised who I was writing an email to and I thought I was rambling a bit. And you invented the character of Izzy, who likes to ramble in her emails, and so I got I got a bit a bit flustered and a bit nervous. But I I know I know that person. I have I have specific <laughs> memories of that of working in a cinema with that person. <laughs> I mean, are they based on real people? I mean, we know already that you write from what you know. Yeah. <laughs> with your... the, the, the setup of an Andram group and also mm. working in groups of people just in your life. So kind of I know those those people. But I think there are three sort of main female characters in the appeal. There's Izzy, there's mm. um Sarah Jane, and mm. there is Sam. And I think that between those three, mm. I, I tend to think all three of those are kind of based on facets of me. I like Izzy is who I fear yeah. I am. Sarah Jane is who I can be from now and again. And yeah. Sam is kind of who I aspire to be. <laughs> That's, right, okay. I, I kind of wrote all of them from the heart. I feel like when you're writing from like the perspective of all of these different characters, you have to kind of put yourself almost like a, as like an actor would into like their headspace mm-hmm. as you write their email or like their text message. 100%. Yep. Mm. It is like acting. Did you, did you find yourself... Like so, for example, with like with Izzy, did you find yourself writing just a block of Izzy emails in one go? Um, not a block of them, but if you were to wind back time and go to an earlier draft, 
of the novel. I think the first one I, I wrote was around getting on for 100,000 words. And all of oh, the wow. extra was Izzy emails. So if you read that, you would really get a sense of what it was like being <laughs> Sam and to be involved with um, Izzy emails, lengthy emails, day after day after day, because you, you would be reading them. And I think even the one that um, Miranda would have first got, that had even more Izzy as well. So that right. Izzy was actually cut down from my... Oh, wow. Well. So as, that, you, yeah. as you were acting as Izzy, you became Izzy in a way. You just overdid it. You kept producing yeah. more and more Izzy character and just kind of i'm like izzy enough really and i became more <laughs> like her i kept saying who you know in, in oh, my yeah. email. <laughs> yeah. that's those are lovely little quirks i like those those little things uh but also those little details of uh you know, I can't remember the name of the character who was, you know, they were chasing, they were chasing a refund and they'd clearly got a virus oh, in their email. Oh, <laughs> just that is just such a lovely little touch. <laughs> like, and because you can see where the humour is uh, throughout. I think a lot of the humour is in Izzy because the, the fact she sends an email to someone while she's waiting in the car for them outside the house is very funny. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a page long. Oh, yeah. No, no. <laughs> The thing, the thing with Izzy, uh, it's how you feel about her. It really says something about your personality. If you find her funny or if you find her annoying and she makes you angry or you right. feel sorry for her and you really empathise with the parts of her that are really, um, you know, to be empathised with and to be sympathised with. Hmm. Uh, how she, yeah. how you react to her says kind of a lot about about you, I'm afraid to say, Jen. Well, <laughs> well, well him, okay, so. well... If you want, <laughs> well, if you want to analyze me, I, I I felt a genuine warmth to to Izzy just because she was really trying, and I really appreciate it when people put in the effort because not enough people do put in the effort with others. So I really liked that about her, and I really, um, oh, forgive me for blanking on the character. Was it James that was always defending her? Yes, uh, yeah. saying, "Oh, hey, she's okay. She's I I, I empathize with that." mindset she's like oh she's harmless she's just being nice that's that's where i stood with, but also finding her funny i think yeah i, I think i experienced all three of those things and i think that's a kind of testament to the character really i think there's different areas mm. even in the same email you're kind of having all of those feelings at once really you're kind of thinking yeah. you feel sorry for her but also you're kind of like oh god i'm glad you're not real oh yeah <laughs> i'm glad i don't actually know oh you. <laughs> yeah no if she's one of those if, if she was an actual friend it's like oh, well, i don't i can't be mean to her because it's just little izzy but also i'm gonna leave that message on red for about a week <laughs> <laughs> so i was just wondering obviously you say you, you draw on your own experience so obviously you've been in amateur dramatics for a long time is there any of the story I mean, obviously, probably not the main th thread of the story, but any of the plot lines at all, anything that you've experienced in real life? Um, not really. I mean, we did do All My Sons. Okay. Oh, well. I was at, so I knew that one very well. Right. And I could talk about that. The characters could talk about that. I don't think anything. Well, apart from, I suppose, the main uh, story, The Appeal, for a young girl's um, drug treatment, that did actually happen to a friend of mine in the group. When her daughter, her granddaughter, um, you know, had was diagnosed with um, a brain tumor, and they did a, an appeal for her, and that's I was I was so impressed with that really, and that was part of my inspiration because the community raised that money so quickly. 
And I thought, well, on the one hand, I thought, well, that's brilliant. That's amazing. You know, look yeah. what a community can do. And on the yeah. other hand, I thought, wow, if someone was a scam merchant, if someone wanted to, um, sure. you know, trick people, and as, as has happened many occasions around the world, you know, you, if you had no scruples, you could say such a thing and people would raise that money for you. And what sure. if you thought that was happening when it wasn't? Um, so all those things yeah. happened as, as, you know, we saw this um, you know, particular appeal unfold um, in, in front of us. It was a few years ago now. Um, but yeah, so that, so that happened. Um, oh, the other how, things, how did they feel about how did they feel about the story? Did you did you even speak to them about it? I, I did speak speak to um, yeah, my friend afterwards, uh, but because I hadn't realised that the book was going to be um, published, I hadn't uh, sort of right. cleared it with her or anything. Um, luckily, she's a very good friend. Um, sure. And also, the, the girl is, um, you know, she's um, what, seven now, eight, and you know, she's very oh, well, much enjoying it was, life. It was a happy. It was a lovely happy ending. To happy that story, ending. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So well, uh, yeah, that, wonderful. No, that's good. Okay. Um, so yeah, that was uh, that was good, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's it is a very serious subject, I suppose, to write a book, a murder mystery that's could be perceived as being light and cozy. Hmm. Um, I don't necessarily think the appeal is as light and cozy as that. I mean, it, it tends to sit in that genre on the shelves, but it has a quite a dark edge and quite a realistic edge I to agree, it. Yeah, yeah. It, it, was there um, was there ever a time where you thought? of uh because i know obviously it started as correspondence was there ever the time you thought of like doing sort of just like classic prose to tell the story or no never <laughs> i didn't oh. at all <laughs> no. that's just, just that's the answer it. no never <laughs> how do you how do you feel about uh how do you feel about the response to it it's been amazing i mean it was number one in the times paperback fiction chart for five weeks it's still in the top incredible. ten incredible it was in the That's Sunday incredible. Times top 10 of a lot more books, all books, I don't know it's all books, more books, complicated. I, I don't totally understand it. It was in the top 10 <laughs> for about four, five books. But yeah, no, absolutely brilliant. Yeah. That's, so has it, has it rocketed in popularity since the paperback has come out? Yes, it has. I mean, it's, it, was, it launched its first as a hardback and an e-book, then... Right. A paperback and the audiobook was um, a bit later for the appeal because they needed so many voices. As if you've read sure. the book, you know how many characters there are, yeah. and they're absolutely yeah, characters. So they needed four voice actors, and that didn't um, about mid August. So oh, after wow. the paperback, which I think is quite unusual, I think it's more usually earlier hmm. the audiobook would arrive. Yeah, but normally yeah, simultaneously. Cause a bit of an explosion because more people read that when it comes out more more so than hardback. Sure, yeah. Why is that? So you can just stuff it in a bag? Is that why? Why would because not working in the book industry? Like, what's the rationale for for that? I suppose it's it's a physical book, but it's cheaper. Yeah, it's, it's more portable. You're right, portable. I mean, I I do I prefer a, a paperback. Um, just just because just because it's it's easier on the wrists. Uh, <laughs> But why, why, why the insistence on always releasing a hardback first? I don't know. It's, I've no idea. It's nice. Is it just tradition? Is it just a tradition that no one's questioning? I guess it must be. But hardbacks are lovely. They are really uh, beautiful things to see, especially when your name is on it. You kind oh, of realise then how gorgeous paperbacks are and hardbacks are. Sure. And paperbacks are gorgeous too. But um, 
I don't know why they, they do. You might have to ask a more booky person. I thought you were, I thought you were fairly booky. <laughs> <laughs> not, not it's my first book, I don't know. <laughs> but um, do you get, um, what I noticed is obviously there's two different uh, covers as well between the hardback and the paperback. Do you get yeah. an input on the image used? No, not at all. I mean, the cover of a book is, um, and I know this from the retail beauty sector and working in retail journalism for so many years, I, I completely appreciate the book cover world because right. the um, the book cover is a marketing thing mm -hmm. and it's designed to attract the eye in a shop or online um, of readers who will be interested in that type of book. Mm -hmm. And it's exactly the same with other retail products with from beauty products through to cleaning products, food, everything, everything you buy in a shop. And so book cover is very um, carefully designed to attract the correct reader, the reader who will be interested in it. Even with music, you know, you can you can tell from the cover if uh, if that band's using ukulele. <laughs> well, people who love that will love those albums with the ukulele on the cover. Absolutely. That's, of course. That's the marketing. So why, one of the other things I was thinking is, is you know, you have a, a career of you know, up to the novel in kind of comedy, screenwriting, thrillers. Mm -hmm. So why crime? What made you, you go with, you know, is that mm. something that just like naturally came to you, your idea just fitted to that kind of genre or is that conscious? Yeah, I guess, I guess so. I mean, because it originated from a TV series idea or just a vague idea I'd had. Mm. Uh, so yeah, the, a crime had been committed then, but I don't, I don't think I was thinking particularly of it being a murder. I don't know. I just assumed that in the book something would have to happen, something really big. Hmm. So I was kind of I was, um, blind when I started writing the book, really, because I didn't know what I was doing. And, and again, I didn't care because I thought it was never going to be published anyway. So I could do what I liked. Sure. And it just happened that a murder happened in it. I was lucky, really, but it did. Because <laughs> I just the thought of, of writing a novel to me is almost like unfathomable. Like I feel like the preparation before you even start writing the first word would be insane. But it sounds like maybe you, you just kind of went for it. Or did you, you know, is there a lot of prep? Do you have a lot of files at home of all this like research and like brainstorming you were doing? No. Wow. Not really, no. Certainly that, the, the appeal, the first book, um, I literally shut down my final draft document, which is screenwriting software and opened up a Word document and set off. I wrote the date at the top of the page, and that was one of the first letters that you get in the book. Wow. And then I wrote the rest of the book. I didn't do any preparation at all. I mean, I researched things as I went along and you know, spoke to people, kind of back-engineered a few things once I got to speak to someone who'd experienced such, you know, this or had worked here or there. Um, but no, I, I tend not to do a huge amount of prep because it takes all the spontaneity and joy out of the process for me and I'm, I'm more I'm happier to go back and rewrite and tweak things and twiddle things to make them more accurate in the light of research later and I'd prefer to write freely and go straight into it and I have to say when I did start the novel I didn't realize what I was letting myself in for I didn't realize it was a year of solid writing that I was in for it's lucky I didn't know <laughs> But did you have at least the kind of broadly the the timeline, the plot of the story broadly in your head already? You knew what the ending was going to be when you started writing? Or? No, no. I just had this idea that there was this amateur drama company um, 
where a couple from who've been working in Africa doing this extraordinary, unimaginably um, altruistic work mm. for years, suddenly found themselves reluctantly back in the UK in this little drama group where everybody had their high, hierarchical place mm. and yeah, nobody, yeah. it was very difficult to fit in and they were finding it difficult to fit in anyway um, because of all they'd been through. Um, above that situation, I didn't know how it was going to unfold. Because I mean, you've said you've said a few times that you you didn't think it would be published. So I'm imagining that that freedom must have lent. Because you know, you you just oh, I did I didn't overthink the ending. I just did the ending. Yeah, <laughs> it just went yeah. out. So so yeah. how is that now affecting you writing the follow up? Well, oh, sorry, heard... the, your follow up, not the follow up. The follow up. Well, it's, uh, yeah, it's not a sequel. It's a uh, second novel, Twyford yes. Code. Um, that's was all. It was already written when the appeal came out. Oh. I was just in a uh, first sort of rewrite of that. So that much wow. the same way, really. Um, ah, okay. So we're, we're looking at the difficult third novel then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, difficult. So I don't have as much time now because I've got these other two novels that are still sort of around and I'm writing the third one. Uh, and I've got oh, less time. Oh, my word. So they're, um, but that um, almost kick, something kicks in of previous work that I've done writing where I haven't had time. I'm writing where I've been, you know, against the clock and against, you know, having to do other things as well. And suddenly, you know, you find something that helps you get through it and helps you deal with it mm. in by putting things in different mental spaces. So I think the the process will be different for this third one. But and hopefully, I've right. got fingers crossed, hopefully it will be just as good. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm sure it will. So, well, I've said that, so, I really hope so. <laughs> well, okay, I've, I've, there's plenty of wood. I'm touching a lot yeah, of wood. Got, Where's yeah, Ikea? Uh, does that count? It's like sort of laminated <laughs> plastic stuff. Laminated's fine. That's, yeah, okay. it's okay. All right. yeah. It all counts. It all counts. Um, so what can, what can you tell us about uh, the new book? Actually, the first question I have about the new book is because we're interviewing you, I feel like that now makes Jack and I members of the media elite and therefore we're both entitled to uh, advanced copies. Oh, well, I'd, 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 I'd to comment. you would, of course, have to speak to uh, the publicity department at Viper Books good, for that. Good try, I, Joe. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'll, good I'll, try. I'll, good try. It, it, was, it was less of a question, more of a demand. But okay, I'll, I'll, send, I'll send an email. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, what, what can you tell us about... Um, I can tell you about the Twyford Code that um, it's about a former prisoner who, on his uh, release from prison... Um, at the suggestion of his probation officer as something to keep him busy uh, when he finishes his part-time job, that he looks into um, an event that happened in his childhood when he was at school. He remembers going on a school trip and his um, teacher who took them um, disappeared while on that trip and she was never found again. So um, he looks into it, he has to go back over his life to look and see what happened to her. I'm sold. <laughs> I'm immediately <laughs> I'm sold. In. I'm in. <laughs> okay, so if, I mean, just just in case the publicity department are difficult, can you just send me the Word document or something? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, might, I might get my wrist snapped for that. <laughs> well, yeah, just I imagine you would. I'll, 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 I'll swap you for an album that no one wants to hear. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds fair. That's, yeah. that's a reasonable. That's a reasonable trade. <laughs> 
but no that's really exciting so so where are you now in the process of writing the third or where, in fact, is there anything to do on the second one before it comes out um yeah i've got a bit of proofing to okay. do a little bit of proofing uh the third i'm in the middle of it middle of the first oh, draft wow. of the third so that's uh, quite an exciting stage hmm. sure a little blank cabin. what's so what your what so what's your day-to-day then uh is, is is that all you're doing at the moment is you're writing the third book no so... I'm, I'm doing various things um oh my word i am you cope? <laughs> I, well, this is where the journalism and the very fast um yes communications um work comes in i'm proofing the second novel oh. i'm doing various bits and bobs for the launch of the appeal in america I oh, wow, am writing the pilot for the appeal, which is um, almost done. Ooh. Pilot um, TV. Um, really? I, yeah. That's incredible. Who's 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 doing that? When and um, when? It was well. It was optioned by ABC Signature, um, which is part of Disney in America. Uh, I don't know. It hasn't um, we, we're still in the development stage of it, uh, so sure. I don't know. I know where where it will end up. Um, How, that? that's a really fascinating process i mean I've, i'm is. getting all mangled in terms of questioning but so how i mean how does that translate to a tv show i assume it's just not going to be a bunch of text on screen <laughs> <laughs> that'd be quite easy wouldn't it you just film the book on your iphone it could be it like out. the return <laughs> like the return of cfax like the cfax thriller <laughs> and you just kind of flick through yeah, it. that's movie. such a good idea um no i mean i can't say too much about it of course because it's rather sensitive but uh of course no hopefully yeah so so with the big boys yeah and also working with a a co-writer on another thriller series again that's um you know can't say much about that and i'm writing the third novel wow oh my word yeah it's busy so do you do you sleep much? <laughs> a bit, a bit. Not not as much as I'd like. <laughs> no, I work well, really sure. intensely in the mornings. I have really intense writing mornings. Are you still very much your own boss? As in, like you yes. you dictate the hours you're working. Yes, I suppose around, but I still have to do everything. So sure. some, there are some days that I do have to work a lot longer, and yeah. have things like zooms in the evening, especially when when you work with America. Mm. Of course, there's a time difference. Of course, yeah. And it's not the evening. Zooms and meetings, um, sure. So you, which is great actually because it leaves the day free for writing. That's true. So are you quite strict with yourself? Like, do you have a routine? You, you're in your, you know, library. I don't know. Where do you write? Yeah. Actually, that's a good question. Yeah, I've got um, uh, sort of study. I've got my desk. I'm actually as I'm, I'm on this computer here. So um, as you see me now, is how the you know the text sees me. Oh, oh wow! Here we go. And this is an smile. exclusive view. Yeah, yeah. So that's not very much, very grim, probably. <laughs> but yeah, are you quite strict with yourself? Like, are you able to commit to say, you know, six hours solid of? Um. Yeah, I would work from eight thirty to about twelve midday, really solidly. Wow. After lunch, um, I would only really re-read what I'd written in the morning, and then late afternoon, I have another sort of active time where I would write a lot more from four to about, if need be, about eight. I can have another intense time there. Um, but it depends. So so at the moment, yeah, I am working a quite intense day. Um, but I, I, if I if I get, do get opportunity to rest, then I do and do something else, because that's quite important. Mm. You can 
especially if you're sitting down staring at a screen all day, that can be quite yeah. wearing on the body. You have to move. Yeah, and and how regular Absolutely. are your kind of you know deadlines? Like, do you have a deadline now for your your draft of this third novel coming up? And uh, yeah, yeah, that's early next year. Okay. Um, I would be yeah, I would so... be terrible at this writing a novel. I know straight away because I know it would get to like December. And I'll, be, I'll, I'll probably start. You know, I'm getting close now. I'll start it now because <laughs> I've just spent. You know, I would have just sat there watching football highlights and eating crisps for the rest of the year. <laughs> but obviously, you're obviously... some writers don't work like that. But then, and it's fine. Then they'll scribble it all down at the last minute, and it'll be great. But yeah. I just can't do that. I have to know that I'm getting on with it every day. I have to do something every day. Because yeah, I think the relationship sure. between the guilt, yeah. But I think the relationship between like creativity and and like deadlines is quite complex because I think a lot of the time you think that it doesn't allow you to be creative. It's like I can't be creative. I've only got so much time. There's no way I can be creative on the clock. But then at the same time, a deadline it usually makes you edit what you're doing. It's almost like that makes you edit what you're doing, and you can be a bit more um, objective about what you're being creative doing. I mean, do you find you work better with a deadline? Like if someone said to you, just write your novel, come back to us whenever you want, would you still do it as routinely? I would still do it, but I do get that it's that that open-ended deadline can be a bit of a disincentive mm. because if they don't care when they get it, then do they care if they get it at all? Um, yeah, I guess so. And also, if yeah, I, I do work better to a deadline. Mm. I, I definitely do. I don't like deadlines too um, tight. So it's kind of, I have, I have to have a happy medium. Or if I know the deadline is tight, then I've done a lot already. So you have to play psychological games to make sure you, um, having that deadline ahead doesn't stifle you yeah. and that you make it work for you. And as you say, it, to focus, it gives you can give you focus. And um, mm. so it's always a balance between focus and panic, focus and panic. <laughs> and uh, I try and tread that line most of the time. And it's all—it's also the same in terms of like not forcing an idea. Like you know, if it's if it's not coming, mm. like you, then you know that whatever you are going to churn out probably won't be as good as if you just go and give yourself an hour to watch The West Wing or something. You know. Yeah, definitely. I find if if I'm writing something and you've got that that red flag, that niggle, that you think this isn't mm. this isn't right. This isn't a working. It's just not something wrong here. I tend to Absolutely. stop and change direction. Because that's right. that's kind of a warning that it you know it doesn't belong and there's something wrong hmm. with that particular thing that I'm writing. Sure. So yeah, that's uh, that's a fear really that you get to that point and um, this is going to keep me awake tonight. Now I've now I've voiced it. You get to that point and you <laughs> so, can't get over it. <sighs> imagine if this was the yeah. end of your career. Like this is it tonight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we so, are so never gonna write again. No, she never wrote a thing again. <laughs> that really was her downfall. Do you know what? I mean, it would be really good for numbers on this episode, oh. though. So if you do want to become a mad recluse, if you could have great. a breakdown sometime in the next three weeks or so, that would be fantastic for us. Really public. If it involves a weapon, the bloodier the better. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. So that was uh, that that was Janice Hallett. I had fun. Jack, did you have fun? I had a great time. She was a lovely, lovely person. She was. How did you guys feel, Steve? How did yeah, you feel? Well, mate? well done, you two. That, um, <laughs> Thank you. I, I feel like should I pretend I read the book? But <laughs> well, I can't now. Uh, 
I I want to read the book now, having that having was, heard that, that was the because my my worry with it was because we talked a lot about the appeal. I was worried that it, the whole because epi- the way I remember it is it was an hour of me going. So what was it like when you <laughs> I mean, came up with this character? You just sound very excited. <laughs> I was so yeah. ex- I was so nervous. <laughs> I had to chop out a lot of ra- lot of rambling. <laughs> I apologised to her. I think about three times. <laughs> going, I'm so sorry. I just want to sound intelligent. <laughs> I think the one thing the one thing we should apologise for is that the first two weeks mm. we had Jack building sympathy up for himself of yeah, not being on an episode. And he's just, now there's yeah. two in a row. Now he's well, coming in with what? a massive ego, rating his own questions all oh, <laughs> the time yes, before the answer. I can't believe you didn't edit that out. <laughs> he could have. He easily could have. He chose, he, so he chose to edit around oh, it, so it looked like a good question. It sounded like I genuinely thought it was a good question. You missed out all of the hating myself bit that I said afterwards. So, there was so much trimming. Thanks, buddy. Yeah. Uh, and I tell you what, Jack, you're you're now on for a hat trick. It's three in a row because next week uh, it was me, it was Jack Major, Myself? and it was Stephen Peeling talking to our friend, rival consoles. Or, or what way round should it be? Ryan West, a.k.a. Rival Consoles? I think you have to put the L in. Ryan L. West, <laughs> a.k.a. Rival Consoles. Uh, the brilliant Rival Consoles and very funny. Good laugh. Uh, man from... Where's, where's Leicester in the country? Midlander? Midlanders, he's a Midlander. I like he's, it. Yeah, he's a Londoner, really. He's a, he's a, he's a Londoner, <laughs> but he says past and bath. Yeah. So that's, yeah. that's thing. Uh, yeah, if you don't know rival consoles music, go, I mean, go and listen to it or watch uh, gambling adverts from the, from a few years ago. Or what's the one he's in at the moment? Is it like a noodles, noodles. one? Yeah, it's a noodles yeah. advert, isn't it? Um, but yeah, he's he's not just an advert man. Yeah, <laughs> like, he writes incredible music. His yeah. albums are brilliant. Uh, I think probably most people would know him from the Black Mirror episode, Striking Vipers, uh, oh, which yeah. is uh, an amazing episode, an amazing soundtrack. Mm. Um, and we do talk to him at length about that and his career. But also, uh, yeah, we've known him for a long time. Yeah, we've that's the interview him. that I, I I would have been fanboying like like you were in this this mm. episode, had we not known him for so no, long. No, exactly. He's, he's, yeah. I think he's one of one of all of our favourite artists. Oh, yeah. And also, yeah. thanks to Ryan, he's helped shape Coz's sound. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah, of course, because he produced our last album. Uh, also, we, we toured with him, we gigged with him countless times. When he started out, uh, on a, when Erased Tapes was uh, in its infancy, uh, it was, they didn't have many artists. It was us, it was Ryan, and maybe a few others, I can't even remember. But Ryan at that time was like real hard sort of dance music sort of Ibiza stuff, but they didn't know where to put him, you know. Uh, and so he was playing gigs with us. Yeah. <laughs> Opening for Codes of the Cloud. He was yeah. playing with Codes in the Cloud. <laughs> but then we've, we've done a few shows like that where we think, oh yeah, we'll all merge together well, but sometimes it doesn't work. Sometimes you know, it like doesn't. Sometimes album it does. launches with comedians. Of course, yeah. We'll, yeah. <laughs> with Tom Toll and Ian Smith struggling to, uh, to get the audience. It's on not a good gig, is it? I imagine. But, to when we but touring with him, I felt it really worked, and the way his sound has developed, um, oh, phenomenal. I mean, yeah, he's yeah, he's just brilliant. He's really carved out his own unique kind of sound now, hasn't he? Mm, yeah, exactly. It's but also, really crucially, kind of... he's very funny and entertaining guy. Yes. So it's a just even if you don't know his music, next week's episode is well worth a listen, just for him. Mm, you could tell Janice is a writer 
at certain points, the way she mm. uses her language, mm. the proper concise use of her language. Yeah. Like, one point where she was saying, I realised when they started laughing at me, laughing with mirth and not derision. Yeah. It yeah, just yeah, rolls yeah. off the tongue and I thought, yeah, I, I, I want to read your I, book. I want that. I would have rephrased that three or four times and then said it was a good a good a, answer. Yeah. <laughs> if I was her. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, thank you so much for listening, guys. We've actually got to go... We've got to empty this room of these podcast microphones so Steve can start recording his guitar for the new record. Oh, yeah. The axe. It's my day. The axe it's your day. Um, Jack and I are free. We've, we've we're done. done. We we're smashed done. it, mate. We're going to go... Well, speaking of smash, that's what we're going to be in 20 <laughs> minutes as this podcast is released. <laughs> it is the morning. Uh, but if you want to get in touch with the show, Steve, can you remember the contact details? Oh, my God. Is this going to be every week now? Yes. <laughs> what, so you're saying that I have to do 10 minutes of work to find out what? <laughs> if it takes you 10 minutes to remember the Twitter account we've had for 13 oh, years, God. I'll be furious. <laughs> Come okay. on, Steve. Get in touch with us. Yes. With By email. Okay. What is an email? Info. That's the one. At codesinthecloud.net. Codesinthecloud.com was not available. <laughs> do all the functions of social media various functions not following necessarily maybe other stuff <laughs> across what are we on facebook for the part for the retro heads yep love them codes in the instagram clouds. yep codes clouds codes clouds oh so we're codes in the clouds facebook yes. codes clouds instagram yes codes clouds twitter yes i don't think we're anywhere else are we anywhere else here that's it the main ones, calling off the, the key one back yeah. in the back in the day we had an absolute ton of friends on MySpace. We had so many, yeah. didn't we? Oh, we were. Yeah, My, we were MySpace going under hurt us. <laughs> <laughs> the brand. The suffered. decline of the yeah. band. Yeah, the, the decline of MySpace and the rise in cloud computing <laughs> <laughs> really ruined us. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but anyway, yeah, thank right. you very much for listening, guys. Do get in touch. Please rate, review, all that stuff that other podcasts ask you to do. Um, and yeah, and if you want to, uh, uh, thank you to everyone who has been in touch, especially Ben Reeves, who uh, even dropped in our, the catchphrase, <laughs> which apparently oh, we now yeah. have. This is, this is well done, Ben. <laughs> he's so been buzzing happy. off this since he <laughs> wrote that, I've and got now he's not going to stop. Now. So, I mean, I'm not going to write a new one this week, just for Ben. Take that paper and fold it cranewards. <laughs> See oh, you next so week. <laughs> <laughs>